0: All right, another week, another Miami Sports Pod. Will Manso Clay Ferraro here talking some heat and finally talking a win. Clay, when we were getting ready for the weekend, all I thought was, oh my God, win Saturday because I don't want (laughs) to (laughs) do it in a row. Was it it as simple as Jimmy Butler comes back, Jimmy Butler leads the way and the heat are fine? Oh man, it's it's starting to feel like that a little bit,
1: isn't it? And I don't know if I would say fine. I I certainly think that there's some things in that game that, that, you know, some of the similar mistakes, some of the mistakes that we've seen over the last couple of weeks, kind of reared their ugly heads and you know blew a big lead again late, things like that. And yet, I think the thing Eric Spolster said after the game is is there's just no analytic to measure what Jimmy Butler brings. You know, in addition to the analytics that do measure what he brings, but what he brings, but the analytic as far as the confidence, the the winning plays, and and all of that stuff. And and so I, I do think that that is a major, major part of it. But I also think what, what Jimmy said after the game is also true, that their habits right now are not good, not what they what they were in the bubble. They're not what they need to be in order for this team to win a, a world title, and that is the standard for them. So is it as simple as getting him back is going to make them a lot better? Yes. Yeah, I, I do think that it's going to make them a lot better, and, and, and you can only get better when you add your best player, and, and yet I think, they would all immediately tell you that, that that's not going to be the magic elixir that's going to make them Eastern conference champs again. And, and they want to get even further than that.
0: Yeah. And I think there, you know, there are a couple of points to take away from Jimmy look, the fact that they won is great, but they only won by a point. And they almost blew a double digit fourth quarter lead. So points to what you just said that Jimmy said about habits and this, way that they're playing a lackadaisical style with the ball. Sometimes defensively guys get wide open. They don't attack. They don't get to the ball. They don't rebound well in key moments. They have bad turnovers in the worst of moments, including BAM late in that game that almost cost them the game against the Kings. Those are habits that whether Jimmy plays or not have been there all season that Jimmy is aware they need to fix. But – You mentioned that magic elixir and what what the Heat can do and and, and what Jimmy does. The perfect example is something you and I have talked about a million times, and that is the calm that Jimmy brings in the biggest of moments. He got to the free throw line in that game against the Kings more than the Heat as a team got to the free throw line in the previous game, a loss to the Clippers. That's all you need to know about Jimmy and the attacking, finishing, Not afraid when things are going bad and there's a 10-0 run, the other team's making shots, and you're not hitting shots to say, you know what, I'm going to calm things down and get to the line and resettle things and get this team going again. And while it was only a one-point win, you saw a lot of that at portions of the game. And, again, this is Jimmy after missing almost three weeks. So once he really gets back to being Jimmy, whatever the heck that is, because he's a cyborg. I'm Sometimes Jimmy's just a machine. then you'll, I think, see that calm from everyone else. And look, the latest over the weekend was Tyler then having to deal with the, the questions about quarantine because someone in his house tested positive. Bam said on Sunday, this is the way it is, but we've got to navigate it, keep dealing with it, and it'll only make us stronger when we're together again. But, Clay, the bottom line is this. The biggest domino to fall in that process to being back to the heat was Jimmy Butler returning. And I think from now on, you're going to see a lot more consistency from this team because of it.
1: You know, something else I saw, and, and I hate to like try to psychoanalyze stuff because we just don't know what's going on in inside the heads of these guys. I did find it interesting that after the loss to the Clippers on Thursday night, which which I thought was one of their very, very few really bad losses of the season just because of who the Clippers were missing. And, and you know, it just – it was odd to me that after that game, everybody was pointing to, hey, we need to get our guys back. and And this is a group that – is, you know, the mantra is, we have enough. You know, that's that's Eric Spolster's old thing. And even he, after that game, was saying, you know, we need to be whole again and and all of that. Jimmy Butler is the epitome of no excuses. And I'm watching that game against the Kings, and, and this was one of those games where the officials were letting things go, which, by the way, I have no problem with, because they were letting things go on both sides. And, in fact, after the game, Luke Walton was complaining about the number of free throws that the Heat shot because Jimmy Butler shot so many. But one thing I noticed, Will, was you noticed Kings players and also some Heat players, not named Jimmy Butler, were complaining when they weren't getting calls. They were complaining to the officials because uh, those guys were letting both sides play. Jimmy Butler did not complain. There was one play where he made a bucket. He definitely got hit. And he kind of looked at the official like, dude, what? Um, but for the most part, even when he got hacked, he kept playing and he didn't say anything. And so I just feel like Bring it back to what I said at the beginning. I'm not trying to psychoanalyze this thing, but I do think that when you have a group whose mantra is no excuses, we have enough, then towards the end of that, that stretch without Jimmy, they started to to make some very valid excuses. Yeah. Then you get Jimmy back on the floor, and it really is no excuses. It, it's really a guy who, you, know, you mentioned him bringing the calm. He's not going to get overly flustered if he thinks an official misses a call. He's not going to get overly frustrated if, if a player says something. It, there was a, a moment in that game that I thought was hilarious, but it was also so Jimmy Butler that it seemed as though there was somebody on the Kings bench that was was yelling at the officials, saying something to the effect of, well, how many free throws has he shot tonight? Talking about Jimmy Butler. And Jimmy Butler turns over to the Kings bench and goes, 10, this is 10 free throws. And, like, that's him. Like, he's he, – he doesn't let anybody or anything get in his head. He is in everybody else's head, and I think the rest of the team follows his lead. And you're not going to hear them make excuses moving forward because their leader never makes excuses.
0: No, I agree with you. I think we saw, too, uh, speaking of leadership, he yelled at Precious uh, during a sequence uh, wasn't happy with something Precious did on the court, letting a defender get by. But then he comes back and he throws two great passes where Precious has nice finishes and kind of gives him a pat on the back saying, good job, kid, because Jimmy knows he has to lead not only by example, but lead by what he says, his words, his actions, everything. And again, that is it's, it's, we started the podcast saying, is it as simple as that? Look, turning around these struggles are never simple, but sometimes the easiest thing, the most obvious thing is the correct thing. And, and that is getting Jimmy Butler back. And then when big picture Clay, uh, to me, it's obvious that look, when the heat are healthy, they're going to be fine. Now that doesn't mean that there aren't deficiencies on this team. As we touched on earlier, that need to get figured out. There are some issues defensively. There are some issues with turnovers that sure. When everyone's back, consistency will probably bring more of a fix to those issues. But they're there. This team is not without flaws. This team is certainly not perfect. We knew it last year. Look, they were a 4-5 type team in the East outside of the bubble. And then they really put it together in the bubble. I have the confidence, and I know they do, that they can put it together again as the season continues in the second half into the playoffs and make a run. But you would like to see some of that consistency early. Getting Goran Dragic back will help. Having someone of Kelly Olenek, Mo Harkless, Casey O'Pala, become more consistent and in that spot would be a huge help. So Clay, I just gave you three names. Are any of those three names, the guys that are going to solidify things moving forward, or is it going to be a hodgepodge of the three where Spo tries to figure it out, or are we going to see the heat at some point, make a move to solidify the situation there?
1: You know, what's crazy is you say all three of those names and, and not one of them jumps out to me. And, and I think, you go back to, to what happened in the bubble and you mentioned how they put it together. It's, it's Jay Crowder. I mean, he was the guy who was that guy at that spot who solidified everything. And that's not saying that the Jay Crowder is an all-star level player. What it's saying is that he was a good fit. You, you need somebody who is consistent and, and somebody who can just, make the three that's wide open enough at the time to scare the other guys, but more importantly can do so much on defense that, that you can play bam on the other team's five if the five is the bigger threat and let Crowder chase guys around on the perimeter. You can play bam on on somebody else on the box and and let Jay, Jay Crowder get in Giannis's back for for a while. You know, I remember seeing him very vividly, you know, Giannis trying to back him down and, and Crowder would body him up. And so. Like that's what they're missing and, and I don't know if that player exists on this roster right now. I think they were hoping that Harkless would be close enough that that the drop off wouldn't be as substantial. And I think unfortunately because of the combination of not having enough time yet, um, to get used to the his new teammates and not having the you know having the injuries and things like that, it, it hasn't happened that way. I don't K Z has so much potential. Harkless.
0: You think it can with Harkless?
1: I I can't say definitive. But I look, but this point, I would lean more towards no at this point than I would towards yes. Well, um, like KZ. Kelly Olynyk has been We're KZ. KZ. You know the thing that that frightens me a little bit about KZ, and we saw it against against the Kings. Was you know when he's allowed to freelance and run around the perimeter, he can be a real problem for opposing the offenses. When he gets singled up and he's going up against a guy who's who's stronger than he is, he can be taken to the basket fairly easily. And and so that's one issue there. And so, you know, you're talking about, okay, who's going to be that guy? I see significant flaws in each of the guys that you mentioned that I think other teams can can go after. If I had to guess, I'd probably say Parkless is the closest. But, you know, the thing that – that my issue with Olinick right now is he's just so off with shooting the ball. And I think the thing when you play Kelly O'Linick is you know who he is defensively, and you know that you're going to take some knocks on that end. But you're hoping that on the other end of the floor, he causes so many problems that he more than makes up for. But in order to do that, he has to consistently knock down that three-point shot and draw out the opposing team's center or even their four. And he hasn't been able to do that. So, nice. I, no, I can't. I cannot confidently pick any one of those three guys at this point. Hopefully, in two weeks, we, we have this pod, and I can say, you know what, Mo Harkless looks great right now. You know what, Kazy is showing the ability to guard guys that are that are a bit strong. You know what, Kelly Olenek all of a sudden is knocking down fifty to sixty percent of his three pointers, and, and I believe more in him. But at this point, Will, I it, I would lean more towards trying to find somebody who's not on this roster right now because I just can't
0: confidently say that one of those three guys is it. You know, if I had to handicap them and, and, and the three of them, I would say Mo is still my top one because I still believe that they feel that defensively what he can do – and look, the times he has been healthy in play, while he hasn't been knocking down shots consistently and he certainly hasn't been doing much offensively, you see why his length is an issue in deflections and steals and cutting off uh, passing lanes to the opposing offense. You can see – that there is something there that has potential to be a strength with this team. Now, the key for that is, A, he's got to stay healthy to do it consistently. B is he has to knock down his jumpers now and then. I mean, he's going to get open looks. One thing we saw last year with Jay Crowder, you mentioned Jay and the beauty of Jay was, yeah, he played hard defensively and he is a guy who took charges and he was making plays happen. But more importantly, Jay was knocking down shots at a clip well above what we're used to. And he did it consistently into the bubble and throughout the bubble and into the finals. And that is what they are missing. So it's not necessarily they're missing Jay Crowder. Mo Harkless, I believe, can be a similar type player, especially again with his defense, his ability to deflect passes, knock down passes, cut off lanes, get steals man guys up on the perimeter. Look, Avery Bradley, too, when he's at 100% and he's playing, I think he's a guy who perimeter defender can help. So you're talking about two guys offensively that can help. But when it comes to this position, he's just got to knock down shots. I would put KO, too, because KO is the one thing he's shown in his heat career is, man, he can be frustrating and go through these stretches at times where Spo won't even play him. And then he comes out and he's knocking down shots and having 25 point games. And he has the ability as a veteran who believes in himself to totally just dust off his shoulder and move on whatever struggles he's had. The other day when I filled in on a heat telecast, I sat with Ron Rostean and coach is a guy I love to watch a game with because he sees the things that others don't see. And he said, look at KO on every shot he takes right now. He's fading. He's moving to the left fading, to the right fading. Now watch when he knocks down a shot, how set and straight he is shooting. And it could be just as simple mechanically to keep working with with KO to understand his shot is there when he just sets up and and, and shoots the ball. When he's trying to get it and kind of glide and take these shots falling away into the side, He's just not good right now. And then finally, KZ only because KZ has no refined offensive game. And, you know, and and in this offense with movement and space and the heat, you know, having a plan with pick and rolls and screens, KZ just right now doesn't seem to have an idea and understanding. And it's a lot of it has to do with lack of experience. He didn't start playing till late. And and then obviously he gets drafted. And then the pandemic happens a year later. He didn't get G League time enough. The offseason. There's potential there. I just don't know how much he fits on this current roster this year right now.
1: Yeah, and it was pretty quick last night. And we're recording this on Sunday, so we're talking about the Saturday night game against the Kings, man. It was it was quick that you know when he went out of the game uh, it, very quickly. Eric Spolster made it clear that, that he was more comfortable with Kelly Olenic because you know starting the second half, it was Olynyk back with the yeah. starting group. Um, so to me, that's that's pretty significant because Spo doesn't usually that unless there's an injury or unless there's, there's something that he sees that uh, is significant and, and worth making that sort of a change. And, you know, I, I don't think anything has changed in how they view KZ Akpala. I, I certainly haven't heard anything to make me feel that way. But I think the, the, only, the, the difference is the timeline is not such where they can, can just play him and allow him to work through whatever issues he may be having. Like this team is too important. This yeah. the, this group right now, you know, you hear Eric Spolster say it and, and Pat Riley as well that they owe it to Jimmy Butler to maximize his prime, and that means right now this team, what six and 12, 7 and twelve, you, you you can't afford to let games slip because you don't want to be you know last couple of games of the season and fighting your way getting the playoffs and, and risk getting somebody hurt. So all that to say, you can't risk losing a game in January and February by, by letting KZ work through some of his issues because these games may end up being meaningful towards the end of the year.
0: Yeah, the Heat aren't built that way. There's too much depth. There's too much talent. There's too much too many veterans on this roster when healthy to work through a young player learning the game and struggling. Again, it's not KZ's fault. It's just the way this unfortunate last couple of years has worked out and given everything the uncertainty of COVID moving forward. By the way, moving forward the Heat as we wrap up the Heat talk, uh, in the new week, they've got Charlotte on Monday. Uh, if you're listening to after that, well, then you've got Washington back-to-back Wednesday and Friday, and then the Knicks back-to-back Sunday and into the following Tuesday. So when it comes to the Heat, you mentioned they're 7-12. and Doing the whole they should win this game, that game thing probably doesn't work for a team that's five games under 500. But the next five games on paper all look very winnable. And certainly it'd be a stretch where it'd be nice for the Heat to get right again by, let's say, you know, you'd love to win all five, but winning four of those five and getting some sort of consistency going as then the schedule gets tougher after that. You've got, you know, Utah and the Clippers and all those and the Lakers later and teams like that as the rest of the first half continues. So as the pod continues, Clay, I want to take a moment now to kind of refocus. Um, You know, I know on our Sunday show, you did a big story on the senior bowl. And, you know, Brian Flores had the whole week to see the talent. We're going to talk plenty about the draft and the talent available. But the one story that will not go away is the story of Deshaun Watson. And there was a huge trade. Go figure. Two quarterbacks get traded, for starting quarterbacks on NFL teams, and not one of them was Deshaun Watson over the weekend. Oh. To each other, And that's Matthew Stafford of the Lions to the Rams, Jared Goff of the Rams to the Lions, multiple draft picks to the Lions, including first-round picks. Uh, from the Rams, future first-round picks. How does this change, you think, the whole landscape of what could be out there in return for Deshaun Watson, whether it comes from the Dolphins or elsewhere?
1: I don't think it changes much, and, and here, here are a few reasons why. I think, first and foremost, it, everybody's looking at the number of first-round picks that went from L.A. to Detroit. It, none of those picks are in 2021. They're all future first round picks. And kind of the way that you do this thing is, um, you know, if you're Jimmy Johnson was the one that came up with the original draft value chart and kind of used them to, to assess a, a value to picks. And you basically treat future picks as one round later per year. So in other words, you know, the, yeah, the Rams quote unquote sent two first round picks to Detroit, but the 2022 first round pick is basically viewed as a second round pick. And the 2023 first-round pick is basically viewed as a third-round pick. So, you know, I know people are kind of like, oh, my goodness, look at all the picks that went from it's, – it's not the same value as getting a one this year. And it certainly isn't anywhere near the same value as, you know, if the Dolphins were considering getting up the third pick or the Jets were considering getting up the second pick. And here's the other thing that's going into this. At least one, maybe two of those picks – was just so Detroit would take Jared Goff's horrendous contract off of the Rams' hands. Yeah. And so there's there's a lot more going into this than simply that quarterback for quarterback in a lot of picks, it was Jared Goff's contract was not an asset. It was a liability. Um, and, and in addition to that you had the, the the former personnel guy from LA who's now the GM in Detroit. So you add all those things up and so I, I just I think that trade was more of an outlier than the, Deshaun, than, than the typical quarterback market, and certainly how it's going to apply to the Deshaun Watson situation. So if you saw that, and you saw the number of picks going from one side to the other, and you oh my goodness, what's this going to cost if the Dolphins want Deshaun Watson? It's it, it's not going to matter. I mean, the, the price for Deshaun Watson is what it's going to be, and that's that's going to be multiple first-round picks, maybe multiple first-round picks in this upcoming draft, and, and that's no different than it would have been before the Stafford for golf trade.
0: Yeah, and I will say this. I, not much has changed, right? And I will say this. I think the market for Deshaun Watson is clear. I know the Texans, their new GM, came out and said, look, we're not trading and we want him. And, of course, it's, you know, what else are you going to say? I mean, you're not going to come out and say, yeah, we're going to trade him. Uh, if you're going to do it, you're going to do it because you get blown away by an offer. I think it's safe to assume that three first-round picks is the start. doesn't mean it's the yep. finish, But three first round picks is the start. And if you're Brian Flores and Chris Greer, the Dolphins organization, you just have to say to yourself, you know, that's where it starts. That's not just going to be what it takes, but that's where it's going to start. And you have to think to yourself, okay, is that where I want to go? Do I want to give up 318 and next year's first to start and then get into all the, you know, a player or two or a third or a second or whatever other combination it goes. I think that's where, you know, as much as we've talked about this deal, I think you just have to set it there and say, where would I go with this? And do I think I can get there? And I think you'll immediately know if it's worth it, you know, because I know one thing, the Texans are not going to give away Deshaun Watson. I know people say like, well, you know, he he doesn't want to be there. He has no trade clause, all these things. You know what? Uh, Texans have an organization to run. And I know that, you know, with Bill O'Brien there, they made some awful deals. But I don't sense – that that's going to happen now, and that they're just going to say, hey, give us a first and a player or two first, and you're, you know, give us three and 18, and you're done. That's just not the way it's going to work for Deshaun Watson, a player of his caliber.
1: No, and you're looking at the, at the first round coming up, but the thing that I, I think may play into the Dolphins' favor a little bit if they want to get involved in this is there are a whole lot of teams that have multiple first-round picks. You know, the, the Jets are the one that, that, you know, you may be able to compete with a little bit, um, I don't see Jacksonville making that move because I think they're all in on on, on Trevor Lawrence. Um, so really, who are you competing with? And and I say this because what both Adam Schefter and Chris Mortensen said that uh, you know, the, the, the Deshaun Watson to the Jets thing isn't happening. So for whatever reason, whether that's because Watson doesn't want to go there, whatever it might be, that's, you don't have really any other competition that's going to have two first-round picks in this draft. So if you don't want to bid against yourself, maybe you get away with giving away one of those two, probably the third pick, and then a second, and then a one next year, um, and then players, whatever it might be. But, but to your overall point, the, there's a reason why the NFL is, is not like the NBA when it comes to guys being able to force their way out. A, a, big, a big part of that is because of, of the guaranteed contracts, what you'd have to give back et cetera, et cetera. The other one is, is length of careers. It's, it's just not as long. And so I, Deshaun Watson is 25 years old. He's in his prime. I, he could probably stand to sit out a year, and he wouldn't, wouldn't lose that much as far as his prime goes. But at the same time, does he really want to take that chance if he gets down to a situation where teams aren't offering what they want? And, and the other thing I'll say will, too, is if they were to trade him – for, you know, whatever, multiple firsts, whatever it might be, is it really going to be that – are they going to be that much better of a team in 2021 with uh, a backup quarterback starting or, or a rookie or whatever than they would, um, you know, if, if they were to go ahead and make a deal? I, I just I – don't, I don't know what the Texans have to gain by acquiescing to, to Watson's demands. Uh, if they're not going to get an, an offer that's worth a 25-year-old elite quarterback.
0: Yeah, I agree. And I think that's what it'll come down to. I will say this, though. I think there'll be a – look, we know there's a market for Deshaun Watson in the sense that anybody would love to have him. But, of course, like you said, it's about assets. It's about the real ability. Like, if you're a general manager, you look at your team and say, hey, I want Deshaun Watson on my team. Yeah, that would be about you know 24 general managers in the NFL thinking that. But – when you also look at it, that general manager has to look down and say, but what have I got? I'm a smart enough person to know it's going to take this, 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 and this, and I don't have it. I just don't. So that eliminates say 10, 12 teams. I still think there's going to be a market of five to seven teams that legitimately have what they feel is a package that they can dangle and throw at the Texans to see if they will take. And I don't mean insulting packages. Like, Hey, I'll give you a first and a player. I mean, multiple, right. I mean, a pick this year, a second this year, two, a pick uh, the next first, the next two years after that, and first another second next year, a package of four or five picks and a good player, whether it be a quarterback or a starting defensive player. I do think that there are teams out there that would throw that offer, and it's just going to come down oh. to the Texans are going to go ahead and say, yeah, let's do this. But again, you heard – look, the last thing you want to do as a new general manager is just come in and say – Yeah, we're not going to do this. And then a month later, you trade your franchise quarterback, a guy who the city of loves, a guy who does so much charitable-wise, a good, genuinely good person that's the face of the franchise. That'd be a big blow. On top of, let's not forget, the Texans are also going to part ways at some point with J.J. Watt this offseason. So now you're talking about the face of your franchise on offense and the face of your franchise for the last decade on defense. That's a big blow to a regime that is just starting.
1: These are the three that I would look out for. if, my, if Miami fans want to, if they really want Watson, these are the teams that I would be concerned about. San Francisco, Carolina, Atlanta. If I'm not mistaken, uh, Watson's from Georgia. Um, I don't know if it's the Atlanta area, but I think he's he's from Georgia, so he would be going home. Uh, Carolina is a team that has a higher pick that could entice Houston, um, and they're also not overly committed to Teddy Bridgewater at this point. San Francisco is the one that makes probably more sense than any of them because you go there, and that's an instant Super Bowl contender, maybe even the favorite in the NS. I mean, immediately, like, I, I watch those guys, and I'm like, man, they're going out there, and they're winning ballgames with, with Nick Mullins. They went to the Super Bowl with Jimmy Garoppolo. Imagine what they could do with Deshaun Watson. So, like, that San Francisco, to me, low-key, is the one that, if I'm a Dolphins fan and I want Deshaun Watson, I'm hoping – that San Francisco doesn't call and say, all right, you can have our first this year, you can have our first next year, and Nick Bosa. You know, like, there's, there, there are things that San Francisco could offer that I don't know that the Dolphins could trump without giving up quite a bit. And, you know, three first-rounders including their number three pick. So you mentioned the market. The market's going to be very, very strong. Um, and it's going to be a matter of you know you're Sean Watson because, those two situations thinking, I mentioned to be attractive.
0: What I'm thinking Clay, is just the market of teams that j- that really do have a chance, not just a market of interest. But right, the market
1: right, of interest. right, right. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think that's those, those are just three that jumped out to me that could not only have a chance because of what they have, but also because I think they would be attractive to Watson. Like you go to North Carolina I work with Joe Brady, you go to. Uh, San Francisco, and, and you're an instant Super Bowl contender, Atlanta going up, like, he would weigh I could see him, without getting inside his head, I don't know the man, but you could see him waving his no-trade clause to go those places.
0: Yeah, no, I agree with you. And I think, again, there will be opportunity there. I think the Dolphin fans that are thinking that, hey, this is dead, Brian Flores and Chris Greer are happy with Tua Tungabaloa, they're not going to even look and inquire. I, I think you're wrong. I do. I think you're wrong. I, now, the part about loving Tua, no, I, I don't think that's wrong. But we said it over and over. You can love a player and be happy with a player and understand that that player can be upgraded. It goes for about 98% of players in the league, you know, that there are, isn't someone that's better than them. You know what I mean? They're only the elite few that you could say, those are the greats any team would want them. Everyone else, for the most part, is expendable to a degree and replaceable to a degree. And I have no problem with the Dolphins inquiring to try to improve in the most important position in football if they can Again, Clay, I think you'll agree with me on this. doesn't mean I don't have faith in Tua. I do. I love Tua. We've been on the Tua train since day one. Heck, since before day one, we were screaming tank for Tua. So I, this isn't an anti-Tua stance. It's just like, I want the Dolphins to get the best quarterback possible stance.
1: I have a lottery ticket that, that I think is going to cash in for $10 million. But if I have another lottery ticket sitting there that I scratched off and, and shows me $10 million – now I'm gonna, I'm gonna take the one that I've already scratched off. You know, that's,
0: I do. that's a hollow way to put it. That is the literally yeah, the, I, I, simplest way to put it. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. So I, again, it's I think versus I know.
0: I love it. That's the way. That's the way we're gonna end the pod because I think that's I think Fence, When you take away from this conversation, that's what you take away. Doesn't mean it's gonna happen. Doesn't mean, it's not gonna happen. Just understand why it could happen. Because the Dolphins have to do their diligence and and look and find out and see ways to continue to improve this team. And if it's too much, then they move on. That's it. That's it. All right. That is it. That's it for the Bobby Sports Pod. Hopefully, uh, Clay, next time we talk, the Heat will have a five-game winning streak. Uh, We'll find out. What you think? Yeah. You know what? Let's end it with that. The Heat are going to win the next four. How about that? The Heat are going to win every game. Oh, I I heard that. I heard that. Let's end I got that bandwagon
1: too. By the way, I, I I think so too. I I think they're about
0: to now, turn this thing. that. We both feel that way. Listen and subscribe. So if they lose the next three, it's our fault. We will
1: take the blame on that one.
0: Yeah. How about, listen and subscribe. You already listen. Subscribe to the pod. And if they do it, then you have to invite your friends to keep subscribing to the pod. If they don't do it, then you never have to listen again. There you go. That's our that's our deal. There's our handshake GM deal. That's the way it works. So okay. appreciate <laughs> listening to MyBe Sports Pod. We'll talk next week when the heat. Are on their five game win streak.